Anyways, you got anything else before we dive in? Uh, I don't even know. It's it's been it's been a very very exhausting month. Yeah. But uh I'm pretty much ready. All right, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of 4.30 in the morning. It's your boy, Ben. And Pat is back as well. 119. Episode 119. Damn. Again, I don't know what to say. I couldn't tell you what episode 19 was. I've got no idea. 19. I couldn't tell you. Nope. Couldn't even tell you. Anyways. <laughs> episode 119. It's a very big... Big number. It is. I can't believe we're still going. Yeah, it took us about two weeks to get this podcast yeah, episode it's, recorded. It's been, a, it's been a busy couple of weeks, that's for sure. Uh, with Christmas and everything, and yeah, I was sick, and I think you were you were down and out for a little bit. Yeah. Hopefully everybody had a fantastic Christmas. Yes, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to everybody. I'd love to get this episode up before New Year's, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, great Christmas, though. Christmas 2023 was one for the record books. Definitely was. I think I probably spent the most amount of money on presents than I ever did this year. Yeah, maybe. Probably. But um, Anyways, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Happy Kwanzaa if you celebrate. Yes. Uh, but we got some news stories, man. What do you got today? All right. We'll start off with my first one. Now, Pat, do you remember doing jump ropes for heart in grade yeah, school? Yeah, so it was like a fundraiser type thing for jump roping or yeah. something. Well, this one's kind of about jump roping. Well, it is about jump roping. This one's from our favorite UPI Odd News. Uh-oh. A trio of Chinese jump rope champions broke a world record when a member of the team performed 176 double under skips in one minute while simultaneously jumping long rope. The wow. long rope was held by coaches Wang Huanan and Khan Kingru, while Liu Zinshu, 14, Khan's daughter, vaulted over it while swinging her own short rope for double under skips. Okay, real quick, <laughs> let me give a little bit of insight here. So, my wife does CrossFit. Sure. And they do a lot of jump roping and stuff. Jump roping, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shit going on with jump roping. Okay. Okay. Now, double unders, from what I understand, are pretty difficult. It's when you you use the the fucking rope and you flip it over yourself and under your feet twice in one in jump. In one jump? Okay. Yes. That's ridiculous. This chick does 176 of them in one minute, which is absolutely wild. Okay. While so, she's long jumping. While so she's 176 double double loops double unders so that means the rope is going between underneath her feet twice in one jump 352 times in one minute yes holy fuck <laughs> that is unbelievable like it's hard to get like three or four in a row like it's hard to do that i couldn't like, do one in a like, row like it's difficult <laughs> yeah like if you don't practice it's pretty hard to do a couple times in a row you i know? think i made it to the five minute mark and jump rope for heart i did 13 minutes wow there you go <laughs> Um, Zinshu managed 176 consecutive jumps, earning the Guinness World Records title for the most double under skips while jumping long rope simultaneously in one minute. And that's another thing, too. So her coaches have a long rope, and she's jumping that at the same time, which is absolutely crazy to me. Could you imagine the amount of precision you would need to make this yes. type of thing happen? Yes. I mean, that's precision. ridiculous. My brother's favorite word. Yes. The mother and daughter were both members of the Chinese national jump rope team at the 2022 Asian Championships. And that's the end of the article. So I thought that was absolutely wild. Kind of hurts my head just trying to imagine this. Yeah. How many years of practice did this take? Like, there's all kinds of shit going on with jump roping. Like, like Paige is uh, 
she doesn't know this yet, but she's going to get this jump rope for Christmas. We're celebrating, like, my immediate family's Christmas tomorrow. Oh, okay. There you go. And there's, like, this special kind of jump rope that it's it's expensive. And it's meant for, like, CrossFit. And it's, it's like, for your height and your... It's, like, it's fucking ridiculous. Sure. But, uh, but yeah, it's pretty it's pretty wild. I didn't know there was that much going we can, on. We can cut that, but, yeah. <laughs> no, we can keep that. I don't no. see why we couldn't keep that in. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to build my own jump rope. I need to start doing something cardio. Yeah, I've been... I've been doing some some working out lately. Trying trying to trying to get in shape. I have not been. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> right, nice sweater. Did you get that for Christmas? No, I bought it from China. Son of a bitch. Nice. And I've worn this over to your house about four times now. Oh, you have oh, every shit. single time. You've been like, nice sweater. Did you get that? Would you get it for your birthday? <laughs> so um, it, I did. I got uh, four of these total. Nice. I got four different colors: brown, green, red, and black. So be, you should like wear all of them for like Pride Month, like a rainbow. It's not what I'm going for. <laughs> Although that, that's been my thing. I, I feel completely dorky, but if I find like a nice piece of clothing that's comfortable and fits reasonably well, I buy multiples of it. Yeah, yeah. So like to. it's like at work, I don't, I don't like wearing collared. I think polos look dorky. Like I, I don't think, I don't think there's anything professional about wearing a polo. Sure. I think polos are the worst piece of clothing that have ever been invented. So what do you wear? So I wear like... Uh, wear button-ups? No. Although I would if I had more, but I don't. I only have like nice, kind of like dressy button-ups. I got three black ones, a maroon one. Sure. Kind of a light blue one and a, more of a turquoise. Nice. That I wear. Like if I got to go to like a sophisticated event, I can tuck it in or I can untuck it. Right. Depending on the... The uh, occasion. The, the decorum, if yeah. you will. But I wear these like... They're not really... They're like... Like quarter zip up, like sweater type things. Yeah, nice. And it's like they got the weird collar that kind of goes up, so I look like a like a vampire. Sure, but I don't give a fuck. Fuck, I'm not work. there to impress anybody. Right, you're there to make money. Yeah, and fuck shit up. But that's all I got with that one, Pat. What do you got? Awesome, I got one, and this one's kind of funny. This one comes from CBSSports.com. All right. And as our listeners probably know, we're big NFL fans, and this is an interesting NFL story. It doesn't deal with one of our teams, but it's just, to me, this is the kind of thing that I find really funny. And the headline reads, Packers suspend Jair Alexander one game for coin flip mistake versus <laughs> Panthers. Now, there's a little bit of context going along with this one, but it's it, to me, it's pretty funny. The Green Bay Packers will be without a significant player when they face the Vikings in Minnesota on December 31st. Cornerback Jair Alexander has been suspended for one game by the team for conduct detrimental to the team. General Manager Brian Gutenkust announced Wednesday. The suspension stems from Alexander's actions during the coin flip ahead of their Week 16 win over the Carolina Panthers. <laughs> Green Bay has formally placed Alexander on its reserve suspended list. The decision to spend a player is never easy and not one we take lightly. Unfortunately, Jair's actions prior to the game in Carolina led us to take this step, Gutenkust said. As an organization, we have an expectation that everyone puts the team first. While we are disappointed, we had a good conversation with Jair this morning and fully expect him to learn from this as we move forward together. We look forward to welcoming him back next week as he is a valued member of this team and will continue to be in the future. Alexander committed a crucial mistake during the Packers' win over the Panthers that led to the suspension. After surprising team captains Aaron Jones, Eric Wilson, and Quay Walker at midfield for the coin toss, Alexander called tails and elected to be on defense instead of deferring after winning the toss. <laughs> The official asks Alexander to clarify and, by doing so, save the Packers from possibly losing a possession. 
So I'm going to fill in a little bit of context real quick. Number one, Jair Alexander, Alexander was not a captain for this game. <laughs> captains are the ones that are supposed to go out. Teams decide their captains different ways. Some teams elect captains but at the beginning of the season. Some teams do a week-to-week thing where they name different players captains depending on the week. Mm-hmm. But the coin toss decides the possession situation and the where which direction each team plays at the start of a football game. Mm-hmm. So if you win the coin toss... You've got the option to pick what you want to do to start the game, or you have the option to defer your choice to the second half, meaning everyone gets together real quick, and nobody even really knows that it's a formal thing. They get together real quick at the start of the second half. We want the ball. If you defer your choice, you usually take the ball, and then the other team decides which direction they want to go, basically Mm -hmm. is how that works. Right. So a lot of times teams will elect to receive because they want to start with the ball. So the next, for the second half, the other team gets to decide and they're going to take the ball the second half and then they figure out which direction they're playing. Right. Basically. What you cannot do is say, I want to kick or I want to play defense first Mm -hmm. because you're making your choice for the first (laughs) half. Right. (laughs) And it happened to the Cowboys a couple of years ago where they didn't understand the rules. They said they wanted to kick first instead of defer. So they ended up kicking off to start both halves (laughs) because naturally you're not going to choose you're always going to choose to take the ball right if it's your choice and if you don't defer right so that's part one of the issue luckily the referee saved him because the Packers would have been kicking off twice otherwise right but the biggest issue is Jair Alexander was not supposed to be out there yeah if he wasn't a captain (laughs) he went rogue and went on his own took over the entire operation and nobody decided to step up and stop him why I don't know. So he's getting suspended for a game because of that. He claimed, he's like, oh, well, you know, I'm from Charlotte, so I had to be out there for my city. Get the fuck (laughs) out of here. What does that even mean? That was his justification for going. You're on the Green Bay Packers. And the ref saved him because they could have easily said, okay, looks like you guys are kicking. Given the Panthers a choice for the second half, who would have chosen to receive as well, and the Panthers would have received the kickoff at both halves. And probably would have won the game, because that ended up being a very close game. Yeah. So, That's conduct funny. detrimental to the team. Yeah. Yeah, for probably. sure. So. Yeah, good for the Packers. And, you know, Alexander, he's a pretty good player. Like He's, he's probably the one of the best players on that on that entire team. He's not the guy <laughs> that should be making those kind of mistakes, considering the just, investment. Just, just to put on for your city. Well, they've invested in this guy, too. I feel like they've handed him a very solid, very yeah. comfortable extension yeah. recently. So For sure. This is not just a random guy. This is one of the stars of the team. Yeah, he's a corner. He's, fan, he's a fantastic corner. One of the top five corners, probably. And just in sure talent. Definitely. So, anyways, it's a big mistake. Uh, Coach Matt Wolfleur wasn't happy with him, but it looks like they've gotten everything squared away. Seems like it. But he will not be on the field against the Vikings. Could you imagine losing your best player, especially considering the wild card situation? Packers are still alive. Yeah, but at least they're playing the Vikings who don't really have... They don't have much of a passing attack outside of Justin Jefferson. Yeah, and I don't even know. They just they named a new starter this week and he's i don't yeah, think he's like he's, a rookie or something yeah i don't think he's ever played a snap yet so <laughs> anyways and we'll see how that goes yeah i thought that was a funny news story though man what else you got today that's fantastic next one's from our favorite sky news oh florida woman wants hershey to pay five million dollars over misleading Hall- halloween sweets you know i think i saw this one today let's hear it Chocolate giant Hershey's being sued by a disgruntled customer who said its Halloween-themed peanut butter treats didn't match the packaging. Cynthia Kelly from Florida argues she bought them because she liked the artistic designs of the holiday sweets. She especially was fond of the cute-looking eyes and mouth shown at the packets of the peanut butter pumpkins, prompting her to spend $4.49 on them at an Aldi supermarket. When she opened the bag, she found not only were the facial features missing, 
There were no carvings whatsoever. Her legal case, a class action lawsuit seeking at least $5 million, accuses the Chalkies conglomerate of being ma materially misleading. Numerous customers have been tricked and misled by the pictures on the product's packaging, it adds. Miss Kelly not only citing the holiday treats in her case, but a football-themed peanut butter product that doesn't actually feature the laces seen on the packs. Her case filed in Tampa also references several videos on YouTube. She is seeking damages for anyone in Florida who bought items, including Reese's peanut butter pumpkins, peanut butter bats, peanut butter footballs, and Christmas assortments of peanut butter snowman stockings and bells. Her <laughs> she has not commented on the case. <laughs> So that's the that's, that's the whole article. If this was a one-off situation where she bought one box and it wasn't yeah. what she expected, yeah, I would be like, okay, she's a little nuts going this far. But it seems to be a recurring problem. <laughs> yeah, like I don't buy enough Reese's to know whether this is true or not. I can't remember the last time I bought any candy that wasn't at work. But yeah, a hundred percent. Um, yeah, anytime I eat a Reese's, it's just the cups. Sure. Like, every now and then. They're very good. Like, around Easter, at, like, family parties, there might be, like, a Reese's egg. Well, they're decent. You know, yeah. Yeah. But other than that, I don't... I've never went out and bought a bag of, like, Reese's snowmen. See, I don't target specific candies. Right. But if candy's offered to me... Yeah. I'm going to eat it. Yeah, yeah for exactly. sure. Yeah. So, um, enough for me to be disgruntled about the, uh, the particulars of the... Of the details of the chocolate? No. I feel like this is above disgruntled. I feel like she said emotionally distraught. <laughs> I mean, she's trying to get $5 million out of them for this. <laughs> now, I would say that this was kind of a bullshit case, except for the fact that she's not the only one out there suffering yeah. from this problem. Yeah, a lot of people are pissed. And, you know, false advertising is false advertising. You, let's say, for example, you had like a, like, a, like a bowl game party or a Super Bowl party. And you want to do everything themed. Or you were invited to one and said, bring a football-themed gift or candy to put out for everybody. Sure. So you go to the store, you're like, hey, four forty nine for this box of Reese's football candies. <laughs> and there's no laces on the... <laughs> and you piss your friends off. You piss everybody off. You, yeah. ruin, you ruin the fucking party. And then you're never invited again. And you're never invited again. And you didn't do anything wrong because you bought what was advertised to you. Right. Now you're depressed. Now, yeah. So... In that type of context, and I'm assuming this had to have happened to at least one of these. Yeah, she she fucked some, of this class She action. fucked something up. I don't know. She probably bought maybe she bought like some some Reese's like little snowmen for her child's class, and they all really wanted the snowmen, and the snowmen had the little face or whatever the hell she was talking about, and then they yeah. are they are all pissed that they didn't have it. So we'll have to see if we can maybe bring a member of the legal team onto the podcast to discuss this case further. That's a very interesting one. For sure. Anyways, do you have anything more with that one today? Nope, that's all I got. What else you got, Pat? I got another one, and this one comes from thestar.com, which I don't know if we've ever used that one before. I feel like we had to have at some Pro point. Maybe, yeah. We've probably run a thousand news stories on this <laughs> podcast by now. We had to have run this at some point. And this is going to take us back to a character that we've discussed on multiple episodes. City Council names stadium after Rob Ford. Remember Rob Ford, the mayor of Toronto? Yes. <laughs> Nine years after Rob Ford crashed out of the mayor's office, leaving a trail of scandal behind him, Toronto's City Council has voted to honor the polarizing populist. In a 17-6 vote on Friday, councillors approved renaming the stadium in Etobicoke Centennial Park after Ford 
who died of cancer in 2016 at the age of 46 after leading the most chaotic mayoralty in modern Toronto history. <laughs> the proposal was backed by Mayor Olivia Chow, but opposed by a handful of her fellow progressives on the council. Councilors who spoke in favor of the plan argue that other Toronto mayors have been memorialized with parks and public squares, and Ford should be no different. They said his <laughs> legendary dedication to personally helping constituents shouldn't be overshadowed by what they described as his personal problems. Opponents argued that Ford, who was mayor from 2010 to 2014, and became world famous for being filmed smoking crack cocaine and a slew of other controversies <laughs> that included racist and misogynist behavior, was at best a contentious figure, and the city should consult the public before putting his name on public property. Councilor Anthony Peruza, who backed the renaming, said there was no need to seek residents feedback about it because Ford's victory in 2010 in the mayoral election showed an overwhelming number of <laughs> Torontonians love him. If he hadn't died, he might still be mayor, Perusa claimed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the current mayor saying that, right? That's one of the per- councillors. Oh, the count- okay. But the current mayor, Olivia Chow, who's a progressive and whose party doesn't she support was, this, she, she was for this. She too. was for this. Now, um... It goes on. Uh, Councillor Diane Sachs said there's nobody in the city more divisive than Rob Ford, and it's irresponsible to council to make what many residents would consider a dis- despicable decision without consultation. <laughs> uh, so there's a little bit of um, back and forth on this one. I mean, I see arguments for both sides. <laughs> that being said, <laughs> <laughs> I see I you know I see the point on both sides. He was mayor. He was elected. All I know is that in all the episodes that we've done, the episodes that we've talked about, Rob Ford are two of the funniest ones yeah. that we've ever we've ever discussed. I don't see why you wouldn't honor him. I mean, he was elected. He was he elected. Wa- he was mayor. He and... was popular. He died young. And to his credit, despite all of the controversies that surrounded him, he was more than most high-profile mayors in Toronto. Is a huge city. This that's yeah. a high-profile job. Yeah, he was a community volunteer. He worked with the kids. He did. He coached football for like the youth. Yeah, he did all sorts of shit. He's just all-around guy for the people. Like he literally put his hands in the dirt and hey, worked for the people. He had his vices, yeah. but he was <laughs> he was an all those. He was an all-around guy. <laughs> but I don't see why you wouldn't honor him. <laughs> At least a some, little something, you know. And he really put Toronto on the global map during his time. Yeah, but he did. He, he he was a guy. I mean, that was that was <laughs> he was a good guy. That was a that's funny. And I also like the fact that he ended up. I think he ended up back in the city council after he was the mayor. <laughs> See, he got he he turned it around. So I don't know. I think that. I'm proud of Toronto. I think that's a big positive step forward. I'd like to see a statue of him one day. Me too. Anyways, what else you got today? So my last one is another one from Sky News. This is exactly why I don't want to get a real tree. I've I've heard a lot of horror stories about a real tree. Yeah, animals on the tree and whatnot. Yeah. Oh boy. Family. Find baby owl living in Christmas tree. This is ridiculous. The intruder spent four days hidden in the tree in the in the family home before it was discovered. Every year, the White family of Lexington, Kentucky, picked their own tree and bring it home. And this year was no different. It was not until after four days they had put it put it up in their living room and decorated it before they found the intruder. Michelle White told WDKY TV, "I have three dogs. 
We use this room nonstop, watching TV. The kitchen's right here, no indication. That's wild. The dogs didn't even know I was there. Four days? Four days. How big was this tree? It had to have been a fucking monstrous 20-foot tree. Uh, I don't know. Carpet cleaner Bobby Hayes noticed the bird after plugging in a piece of equipment and seeing the tree start to sway. So, carpet cleaner Bobby Hayes. So, they... So they hire a carpet cleaner. <laughs> These people must have money if they're if they're hiring carpet cleaners. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. The owl was literally sitting on a lower limb here. Mister H- Mister Hayes said it crawled up into the tree further. It took me several minutes to even find it. He sent photos to Mrs. White, who said she was glad he was there to deal with the animal. <laughs> Mister Hayes <laughs> safely released the owl into the family's back garden, and that's the end of the article. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a real hero so, on our hands here. So, ima- you know, so imagine you're working for a cleaning company, and you got to go. And actually, you, you know, I, I shouldn't say you had to be rich to hire a cleaning company. I guess people get their carpets cleaned. Yeah, we've had our yeah. carpet cleaned. Yeah, for sure. Day. Yeah, okay. Although there was a guy across the street. That <laughs> That's funny. But anyways, so imagine you're just, you know, you're just a carpet cleaner. You go in there. You go to plug in a tree, and there's a fucking owl in this damn Christmas See, tree. <laughs> I feel like, honestly, it would be either, number one, I'm being pranked. It would probably be my first reaction. Well, these people are just fucking with me, or they're just fucking around. I would think, oh, these people have a pet owl. Or it's a pet. It's <laughs> one of the two. Yeah. It's not some wild-ass animal they had no idea was occupying their house for four days. That is so wild that the dogs didn't even notice it was there. Yeah, usually the dogs are the first to respond to that type of shit. Yeah. Now, how the fuck? Like, how did they <laughs> how... notice that? I mean, I feel like... Now, he now he said he saw it, so he was pretty up close to this thing, and then it, he said it went back up into the tree, and he couldn't even <laughs> see it. So this thing had to be... This had to have been a pretty big tree. This had to be a big tree, and this and this owl would have to be very small. It had to be small and stealthy, yeah. probably. I don't, I don't know how big baby owls are i don't i don't know i don't know the size of like a baseball or yeah probably something like that but i don't know about how you guys did it i feel like decorating the christmas tree was an intense it was a for us it was a day long yeah it's a it it's an a, ordeal it was, it was an ordeal oh, now yeah. we always had artificial trees we did have we used to do well, my mother actually most of the time there's probably only two or three years that she didn't do two different trees there was one that me and tim were allowed to touch and there was one that we were not allowed to have any part in and Early on, at least, that other tree, the one that Mother was exclusively doing, we would get a real tree. We'd get a small real tree for that. Now, that got shut down by about the time I was age five because I think the dog was drinking out of the bowl. I think I was probably drinking out of the bowl. <laughs> but it became, it became an unsustainable operation, so we ended up getting an artificial tree for that. But Yeah, and they're fire hazards. Definitely. Like, I don't see the practicality. Like, who the hell would have come up with that? And they're so messy, and you gotta water them. I don't want work. Like, I don't feel like having a fake tree ruins Christmas at all. Yeah, definitely not. If anything, it makes Christmas more convenient. But still, I mean, you gotta be involved with this tree. Like, you gotta be in the mix of this thing. Yeah. Especially if you're doing anything. If you're doing lights, beads, ribbons, whatever the fuck, ornaments. Yeah. I don't know how the hell you miss a baby owl living in your tree. For four days. Yeah, like you're you're putting it up. You're, you know, I don't, yeah, you're decorating it. How do you not see it? How does it not make noise or like have droppings or uh, it's probably, it's probably not eating. Well, I don't know. It's probably nothing to eat. I don't know. What what do owls eat? Do they eat pine needles? I don't know. Maybe if they're hanging like candy canes or gingerbread on the tree. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Anyways. Anyways. Anything more with that one? Nope. That's all I got for news stories. I got one more quick one. This is another Christmas one. This one's pretty funny. This one comes from the website fox 8 Dot com. Pat's favorite. Three-year-old sneaks downstairs to open all of family's presents <laughs> early Christmas morning. I saw this. His parents were asleep, 
and that's when the toddler made his mood. Scott and Katie Wrighton woke on Christmas at 3 a.m. to the sounds of their three-year-old son calling for scissors. That's wild. They found him downstairs by the Christmas tree with every single gift unwrapped, attempting to get a new Spider-Man toy out of its packaging. (laughs) Soon after, Scott took to social media to show off the mess the child had made. My son's version of the events, he wanted to open all of the presents so that no one was confused. <laughs> and that they all know all know what they had gotten. That's his story. Scott said in a video posted to X, formerly Twitter, the parents told NBC News they had put the kid to bed and worked to get the presents rewrapped so the other children's ages 6 and 1 could also enjoy the holiday, making sure to place them high up so the three-year-old couldn't continue his midnight perpetrator spree. Many commenters on social media also shared stories of their kids' similar antics, showing this is far from an isolated incident. We, on the other hand, are sipping coffee and planning to tell this story at our son's wedding, Scott wrote on X. (laughs) That's funny. This little kid's a little industrious. Sounds like it. That's hilarious. Now, did you have any issues this year? No, Hudson wouldn't do that, I don't think. (laughs) I don't think he would. No, Hudson's pretty well-behaved. Yeah. Not that that child's not well-behaved. I'm just, you know, he he was probably just overexcited. He had good intentions. Yeah, but Hudson, he is three also, (laughs) and he is a huge Spider-Man fan. Oh, boy. So... Is he watching that Spidey friend show? Uh, no, he watches... Okay, so it's it's kind of, they're kind of ridiculous, but sometimes they're actually pretty good. So they're all it's this YouTube channel. They're from Asia somewhere. I don't know. It might be like Thailand, or it might be there might be Chinese. Oh I don't really know. But they dress up in these Spider-Man costumes, and they like make their own Spider-Man episodes. <laughs> they have villains. They have all plot lines, and Hudson is into this. And some of them are actually kind of good. I'm not going to lie. And, like, they, like, the special effects are really cheesy. No shit, that's funny. But it is kind of funny. And Hudson's really into that. But, um, but yeah, he likes the Spider Man cartoons, you know. There you go. He likes watching the old Tobey Maguire movies. Those are excellent. When we went to Puerto Rico, we watched those on repeat, like, all day. Really? Whenever we were in the. The the condo. Those are good were, movies. Yeah, they are good movies. I feel like Tobey Maguire is a true Spider-Man. For sure, he is. Anyways, I thought that was funny. That was funny. I don't think I ever did anything that bad as a kid. Yeah, I didn't do that. Um, I always got excited. I always wanted to help people open up their presents. Yep, yep. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, that's all I got for news. What else you got? You got anything else? Nope, I'm all done with news. Oh, we kind of ran way over. Oh, damn, yeah, we did. <laughs> Anyways, on to the main topic. The band, this is going to be a classic. This is going to be a classic Pat episode for sure. We'll see. We'll see how this one goes. It's going to be an interesting topic, possibly one we need to expand on in the future. Definitely. Multiple parts, I'd say. This isn't exactly a new topic, I guess, but it's a new topic, kind of. Yeah, it's a new topic, it's a new but, topic it's, but, but it's a new topic we haven't done yet. Sure, if that makes any sense. If that makes any sense. So, Ben, what are we going to be talking about today? Episode 119, we're going to be talking about American heroes. Yes, I mean, we're American, if you guys didn't know. A yes. lot of heroes from this great nation. Yep, definitely. And, Most definitely. you know, it's Christmas season, but we celebrate our independence 365 years, days a year. 100%. <laughs> I almost said years a day. <laughs> <laughs> Same thing. But, um, so we're going to be talking about some American heroes from out the entire nation's past. I've got four that I prepared. Yeah, I got about four, four or five. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do all mine. Mine kind of vary. Some of mine are, it's more, for me, it's more just people that you don't hear about. 
Yeah, same. Like, one of mine, like, should have been an American hero, like an American icon, but just was in the wrong place at the wrong time and didn't. Sure. So these other, these my other three you might have heard about. If you studied American history, you've probably heard about these other three at least. Yeah, like, if you studied American history, you've, you've probably heard of all of mine. They're just not on, like, the forefront yeah. of, like, you know. The people we always talk about. Two of the four that I have are still living. No shit. Which nice. is interesting. So, nice. Ben, you want to go ahead and get this one kicked off? Sure. Now, Pat, I know you know about this guy, but um, I'm sure, I don't know, you, you, you just never hear his name mentioned, like, in, in like our, where we live, you, you hear him mentioned, but I don't know, you don't hear him mentioned as, as far as uh, some of the great generals of the Revolutionary War. Sure. And that is General Anthony Wayne. Yes. We didn't mention him briefly, but we, we, only, we only mentioned a specific battle that he was involved in. Yes. So, so Anthony Wayne, Mad Anthony Wayne. Yes, Mad Anthony Wayne. And uh, obviously we know a lot about Anthony Wayne because we live in the Midwestern region of the United States. Sure. And he has a big, uh, huge part of um uh what he did kind of really shaped ohio for what it was for for what it is and indiana and, and indiana so a big part of the midwestern united states has a lot to owe to general anthony wayne but a lot of people don't know he did a lot of shit during the revolutionary war as well yes and i think that was kind of that a lot of that's kind of swept under the rug yes a lot of him is swept under the rug Definitely. So Anthony Wayne was born January 1st, 1745, Chester County, Pennsylvania. He attended uh, the Philadelphia Academy and became a surveyor. And he actually worked with Benjamin Franklin as a surveyor for a while, which is interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, He married, had two kids, and um, he would eventually join the Pennsylvania legislator in his local committee of public safety. And in January 1776, he was commissioned as a colonel uh, in the Pennsylvania line of the Continental Army. And honestly, in the early years of the war, he had it kind of rough. Not going to lie. But he always turns things around. Sure. We'll get into it. So um, his first mission was to reinforce the Army's uh, Canadian expedition. And this was also his first combat uh, experience as well. And um, this ended up being a pretty bad defeat at the Battle of... uh, Troyes Rivera's in June 1776. Um, that was when we first tried to get some land in Canada, I believe. Um, and then after that, he was in charge of Fort Ticonderoga. And after that, he was made a brigadier uh, general. So then after after he got promoted, Wayne and his command, uh, he ended up going south to meet Washington to protect uh, Pennsylvania from General Sir William Howe's uh, British forces. Well... What happened during that was the Americans fucked up some intelligence and the British out, outmaneuvered them and they ended up being defeated at the Battle of Brandywine September 77. And like I said, his first, the early years of the war for him were, were a lot of defeats and it doesn't get any better. A week after Brandywine, uh, uh, the British had a surprise attack on him while, while they were sleeping, which led to a lot of casualties and his narrow escape. And then they would go to lose in Germantown in 1777. And he would also be defeated at the Battle of Manmouth in 1778 because General Charles Lee refused to give him reinforcements when they were getting destroyed. He was really in the mix of the yeah, he, Revolution. He, he I didn't really, realize all yeah, that. Yeah, he really was. So he was forced to retreat at Manmouth. And um, after that, things start to get a little better. Uh, he planned a really good uh, surprise attack at Stony Point, which is huge for the Americans. Which uh, we talked about. Yes. Yes. Yep. But although he did suffer an injury during that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember 
reading this for the first time and just laughing out loud. I don't know why. <laughs> Um, and then after that, he was moved to uh, he was moved south again by Washington, where he fought with uh, Lafayette at the Battle of Bing, uh, Green Spring, and um, uh, and then he joined up with Washington to help defeat Cornwallis at Yorktown. So this guy was literally in the mix for basically Everything. defeating the British. Yeah, him and his men were the first person were the first uh, men to walk into Charleston after the British evacuated. Like he was he was at the front of all this shit. Yes. And obviously after all that he was promoted uh to major general. He became a farmer, but there was he had a situation with like some debt, I don't know. He got into a little bit of like money trouble. I don't know what it was. But the military was not done with him yet. Washington calls him out of retirement because he wanted him to command a newly formed legion uh, for the United States. They wanted to expand the Northwest Territory, which sure. is now the Midwest. At that time, it was Northwest Territory. The Eastern Midwest. The East, that, yeah, Michigan, yeah. Ohio, and Indiana. Yep. So he was to form the legion and train the men while the diplomats negotiated with the chieftains you know, of that uh, region. And again, a rough start to all this. There was an epidemic during this time. And there was delays with the militia coming together. So he wasn't really ready for any type of assault or any assault on them. So what he ended up doing was building a bunch of forts. And that really helped us out. Yeah, he built plenty of them. I've been to several of them. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he would eventually win at the Battle of Fallen Timbers, which Pat and I... We have visited the battle, the battlefield of the battlefield of Fallen Timbers before. Yes. They got a mall there now. Yeah. No shit. But the Battle of Fallen Timbers, I guess, was a post revolutionary yes, scuffle this, basically yes. with I apologize. The native tribes. Yes, I apologize. He was brought out of retirement in the spring of seventeen ninety two. So this was after the Revolutionary War. Uh this was he was retired for, you know. What the hell was the last year of the Revolutionary War? 1783. 83. So, yeah. Um, but what he was able to do, nobody was able to do, which was to um, uh, the, the Treaty of Greenville. The Native Americans surrendered all claims to Ohio in that treaty, which no one was able to do beforehand with sure. diplomatic talks or anything like that. But what sucks is those victories and everything that he did, he hardly got to experience any of it because he died shortly after of like complications with the gout in 1796. Yeah, it was so, kind of a rough go out there. Yeah, but um, definitely an American hero. Uh, not really talked about in the grand scheme of things, I don't think. Yeah, well, I mean, if you've come from Fort Wayne, Indiana, yep. guess who that was named for? Anthony Wayne. Got a couple schools, a couple roads named after him. Yep, for he pretty sure. pretty much rode down the Maumee River, which is this river that runs through northwest Ohio from Lake Erie, yep. which is actually, I didn't realize, I was reading about Ohio geography. Outside of the Ohio River, it's the most, it's the largest yep. river in the yep. state of Ohio. Yep. Uh, I think uh, a couple of cities, have what, what's up there? Uh, Toledo, I think Toledo is like right in the mouth of yeah. the Maumee. Yep. But it's an interesting chunk of geography, especially considering that that area was all swamp at that yep. time too. So the black we're, swamp. We're talking about not the easiest terrain to work through. Definitely not. A lot of history in the area. Yeah. And I, even I heard a ghost tale <clears throat> about there's a bend if you go south from where the mouth of the Mummy River would have been along his trail. They got ambushed after the Battle of Fallen Timbers. And a whole bunch of the gold that they used for soldiers' pay got stolen by a tribe. Hmm. And they buried the tribe, or they buried the treasure there. And after the tribe had to flee the area when that treaty was negotiated, they put a curse on the land and they said, 
Whoever digs of the curse will be attacked by this, the spectral guard of the treasure. Damn. And every time anyone in that area, and I know where the area is. I'm not going to get into the details where it is, but it's it's inland a little bit. It's south of Michigan. It's east of Indiana, but right in the like northwest Ohio area. Sure. Um, whenever anybody digs in that area or even sticks a, like a stick in the ground, that ghost pops up. And it's happened many times. No shit. That's awesome. So there's there's probably some treasure buried down there somewhere. Dude, we should go and put a stick in the earth and see what happens. Well, we'll probably get attacked. I heard it's a violent ghost. Damn. <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, hopefully I didn't butcher that too bad. But that's, that's a um, great one. General Anthony Wayne. I'm glad we were able to get him to the table. That was an incredible, incredible hero. Incredible story. Definitely. Um, my next one's also going to be a revolutionary, or my first one rather, is going to be a revolutionary founding father. I'm hoping you don't have this guy. There's a good chance you do. And this is a guy that I've heard of before. I'd never dived into him before today. <laughs> I've enjoyed researching him quite a bit. Have you ever heard of Gouverneur Morris? No, I did not have this guy. Okay, this is a founding father quite unlike most of the founding fathers that we've dealt with. Now, Governor Morris was born in 1752, I believe his birthday was January 31st, and his family were basically wealthy landowners that lived where the present-day Bronx is in New York. Okay. So they had a nice little estate there, they owned some land, etc., etc., family was reasonably well established and he was reasonably well established he was educated at king's college which is now columbia university wow i think he started there at like age 12 or something so he got a whole bunch of degrees he ended up getting his law degree and in 1775 he ended up on the new york provincial congress which was basically his first steps towards becoming a revolutionary now he was only 23 years old at the time wow so he was a young up-and-comer he had a couple of decent jobs like as a young kid he was given some decent shit to do and he ended up getting pretty heavily involved in the american revolution at the time he was more of a what's the word revolute not really like an independent like he really wanted to separate from the british government etc etc yeah however his family was reasonably well established especially up in new york with the british government and with whatever so there were a lot of loyalists in his family sure so he had a couple of half brothers one of them ended up being a co-signer of the declaration of independence with him which he did sign in 1776 however another brother ended up becoming a major general in the british army damn so he there was a lot of tension going on there (laughs) and even uh, early on uh new york ended up falling to the british pretty quickly in the early american revolution and his mother, who was also a loyalist, signed over the British or her estate to the British. So there was a lot of tension going on early in the life of Governor Morris, especially when it came to his revolutionary, because he's only in his 20s at this point. Right. Now, he was involved in pretty much all of the congresses and all the meetings and whatever. He was he knew George Washington. He knew all the guys. He was one of those guys. And he's best remembered these days because he essentially authored the preamble to the constitution we the people of the united states in order to form a new perfect union establish justice all that shit mm-hmm. he was the one that ended up pretty much writing that now the reason why i'm bringing him to the table is number one he was a pretty interesting political character back in that time especially during the revolution he was not a soldier and the biggest reason why was number one as a kid somehow he dumped a big pot of boiling water all over himself and burned himself badly so he's a little bit a little bit kind of mangled from that might have heard of this guy before actually he ended up losing a year of his studies because of the injuries he sustained from 
Yeah. <laughs> this boiling water <laughs> incident. And it doesn't sound like he was the most, like, rough and ready type. He was more of an aristocrat. But in 1780, he was riding around in Philadelphia in a carriage and ended up having an accident. And he had a, <laughs> he broke a ton of bones in his leg. Jesus. And his normal doctor was out of town. Now, he was only 28 years old at the time. So the doctors that were in the area were like, Yo, well, you know, we, we, ha- we have to amputate. So his left leg got uh... amputated from the knee down. And then his other doctor shows up the week later and was just like, yeah, you know, we probably could have saved this. <laughs> we probably did not have to amputate. <laughs> so he was a peg leg, peg leg guy. He did end up serving in what was essentially the the New York National Guard type thing, but he really didn't see much combat. He was much more of a politician during the time. And he's weird because he was, number one, he was an anti-slavery politician, which wasn't as common back then. But he was also a federalist. Mm-hmm. So he was like, when we get this whole thing together, we need to operate as one union of independent states where a lot of the founding fathers were, we're going to be pretty much 13 independent countries. Yeah. Was kind of the goal. So he became kind of interesting because of that and because of his peg leg. But during the Constitutional Convention in 1787, where they formed, they got rid of the Articles of Confederation and they formed the government that we still exist under today. Mm-hmm. He was at the Constitutional Convention and he gave a total of 173 speeches during the constitutional convention and he was also a member of the committee of style and arrangements which was a prominent post for him during that (laughs) during that convention and that's really what ended up leading him to author the preamble to the united states constitution wow now he gets kind of carried away because he was an aristocrat he was very much not really a man of the common people Sure. But he really wasn't that bad because he was so anti-slavery, which was revolutionary. Now, his reasoning for that wasn't really altogether there. Like, he was comparing the slaves to houses. So it was was a little out of hand, but he was still kind of revolutionary for the time. Right. He was best remembered after that for being the minister plenipotentiary, that's spelled P-E-L-E-N-I-P-O-T-E-N-T-I-A-R-Y, Hmm. of france which is essentially the diplomat to france the ambassador right which benjamin franklin served as essentially and then thomas jefferson would have served as Mm -hmm. and he was in france between 1789 and 1794 serving from 1792 to 1794 as the ambassador during the height of the french revolution Damn. And he was the only foreign dignitary to ride out the entire reign of terror. Unreal. And he was just kind of hanging around there. Now, he was more of a monarchist than a revolutionary back then. But every time he got cornered by the mobs every once in a while, and the one time he ripped off his peg leg and said, I lost my leg fighting for liberty in America. (laughs) Why would I not be for you guys? Because they were about to hang him. They didn't like him. Sure. Especially considering he was supporting Marie Antoinette during the entire time. (laughs) So his story gets out of control but what's funny is during this entire time he never got married he didn't get married till much later in his life never had any kids but he was known as kind of a philanderer he liked to get around quite a bit and during his time in france he ended up engaging in an affair with this woman named uh comtasse adelaide de float who lived in the louvre before the louvre was a museum she had an apartment no there shit. he had a three-year affair with her 
And meanwhile, she was also banging the guy that ended up becoming Napoleon's, like, treasury secretary and ended up selling the United States the Louisiana Purchase a few years later. Unbelievable. (laughs) So she was banging this Governor Morris guy and that guy at the same time. Unreal. All behind the back of her husband, who was a count that was 35 years older than she was. So he had quite the the escapade in France. Yeah, he did. We know all about all these stories because he left detailed diaries about about everything that he did, but especially during his time in France. And his diaries are one of the best sources for the revolution or the French Revolution because it provided an impartial third-party perspective of what was going on during the time. Right. So his diaries are treated as, like, serious sources for history. Yeah, for sure. So this guy, he's not quite done yet. I'm not doing his story any justice because it's, it's absolutely off the wall. But he ends up going back to America after his little run in France. And in yeah, I think is it was in the 1800s where he ended up serving in the U.S. Senate briefly. And then he finally decides to settle down in 1809. And he married a woman named Anne Carey Randolph, who was best known as Nancy who just happened to be his housekeeper. <laughs> I think he was in his late 50s at this point. But this Nancy Randolph woman, Ann Carey Randolph, was scandalous from a time in the 1790s because <laughs> she was involved in what was known as the Bizarre Plantation Scandal. Now, Bizarre Plantation, I'm getting out of control, but this is this shit's funny. That was just what it was called. It was just called Bizarre Plantation. And in 1793, uh, this Nancy Randolph woman was living at this plantation with her sister Judith and her brother-in-law Richard. And the only reason why she was prominent at all was that her brother ended up marrying Thomas Jefferson's daughter. <laughs> so that's the only reason why she's on the radar at all. But she's living at this fucking bizarre plantation. And all of a sudden, she becomes accused, along with Richard, of killing a baby. That was supposedly hers. Which implies that her and Richard had an affair behind her sister's back. Right. Produced a kid <laughs> and killed it. Jesus. It's a story. She maintained that, oh, it was stillborn. Never denied the affair or anything, but just said it was stillborn. Mm-hmm. So Patrick Henry and John Marshall ended up becoming her attorneys. Well, it was more Richard. Richard was the one that ended up going on trial. And won the acquittal to dismiss the charges against against the two for this whole unreal incident and then these are they're they're in their early 20s at this point i think she was she was probably 18 when this whole thing went down so they're they're, they're young yeah richard ends up dying in 1796 of unknown causes and they suspected both the sisters of killing him because they all stayed living at this bizarre plantation the entire time and then it took judith who ended up owning the plantation nine years after that to actually kick her sister nancy out mm-hmm. and she had nowhere to go so she ends up becoming the housekeeper for governor Morris up in New York. <laughs> but after after they found each other, nothing really happened. There wasn't really any incidents after that. So Wow. But I just I find this guy's life hilarious. That is wild. He also he was also back during the revolution, he was involved with a couple of female authors during the time, novelists and whatnot. So he really got around. Um he ended up dying. I don't know if I can even talk about how he ended up dying. Basically he had a urinary tract infection. Oh no. And he decided to clear out the blockage. He used a whalebone <laughs> and ended up getting infected. God. Oh, what a way to go. So that's how Governor Morris ended up leaving us. Oh, no. I think he lived until 1816. 
Dang. So he was 64. I mean, that was a good age back then. Yeah. I don't really have much more to say about Governor Morris. I found him a highly entertaining character to study. That was entertaining. Hopefully that doesn't run too long. Hopefully I haven't wasted too much time. No, that was good. That was awesome. All right, what else you got today, sir? My next my next few are, they should be quicker than my first one. So this is another founding father that swept under the rug. That's because um, he died very, very young, unfortunately. It's kind of a sad story, but a story of the ultimate sacrifice. So when you think of the founding father, we don't ever hear of this guy. You ever heard of Joseph Warren? No. You know, he might have came up in my research, though. Yeah. So, um, he was the president of the Massachusetts uh, Provisional Congress, which means he was he was a part of arguably the most important people in the fight for independence. And he sure. was he was huge in the Boston, you know, Patriot group, you know, organizing all their shit and all that stuff. He was the one who told Paul Revere and William Dawes in April on April 18th, 75 to leave Boston and go on their run. You know, the British are coming, the British are coming. Sure. When uh, the British were setting out to raid the town of Concord. Um, he would fight at the Battle of Lexington and Concord the next day, and then he was made Major General the day after that, and he fought at the Battle of Bunker Hill. And what this guy decides to do is, is instead of exercising his rank and kind of being on the sidelines, even though he's there, he just kind of directs the, the battle and everything. He decides to line up in, on the front line as a private, and he would die alongside his men. Wow. In the Revolutionary War at Bunker Hill. So, I don't know, that's American hero, in my opinion. That's crazy. I definitely like, I he, mean, it sucks know, that he died, but. Yeah, it sucks that he died so young. You like seeing the moxie, the grit. But, I mean, that's, like, none, none of the, like, this guy was on the same, like, he knew Washington, Jefferson, Adams. He worked on a lot of the shit with the Declaration of Independence. Exactly. Like, he was a part of all that. None of them would, I mean, besides Washington, none of them would go on the front lines like this guy would. Yeah. It's very interesting. <laughs> to see the distinction between soldier and, and aristocrat during the right. revolution. So, so that's impressive. I don't know. That kind of hit me hard, that story. Just wanted to tell his story. That's a good one. And I get, do need to finish up one more thing with Governor Morris. Sure. Who might have known this guy. I mean, Massachusetts sure is a little, he bit, did. a little bit farther north than New York. But, I mean, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and D.C. are kind of like they're, all the same city. Yeah, they're not, they're not all far away from each other. So real quick with Governor Morris. During his time as a diplomat in France, he had... Uh, a couple of international incidents actually went down that he did not do a good job of addressing. He ends up bringing, or Marquis de Lafayette, who you mentioned in the Anthony Wayne thing, mm-hmm. ended up getting exiled from France during the, the time he couldn't do anything <laughs> about it. And then Thomas Paine, the famous author, was imprisoned yep. in France and he couldn't free him. God damn. <laughs> so I'm sorry. No, that's mean, okay. I forgot about that. Oh, one wild thing about Washington and General Anthony Wayne. I wish I would have wrote it down, but I didn't. But I, I read it on this uh, on this website. Um, Washington actually did not like Anthony Wayne at all. He he didn't think he was a very good person. He was he, a little he, wild. He didn't think he was cautious or like he didn't think he was. But he put a lot of trust in him. He literally had him be the man to go expand the Northwest Territory. Like sure. He, he put a lot of trust in Anthony Wayne, especially during the especially during the Revolutionary War, too. I feel like you don't earn the name Mad Anthony Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, that was a good one. Yeah. What else you got? I got one. This one is the reason why I wanted to do this episode in the first place. Have you ever heard of Buzz Aldrin? Yes. 
Born on January 20th, 1930. Buzz Aldrin is probably best known as the second man to walk on the moon after Neil Armstrong. Part of that famous 1969 mission Apollo 11. Well, didn't he say it didn't happen now? Didn't he say that we didn't? none of that should happen? No, he never no. really has. Oh, okay. He has come out and said a whole lot of different shit. He, it's, he's kind of back and forth He's with back shit. and forth about a lot of things. Hell, I've never seen an actual denial of the mission. I've never seen any actual denial that he didn't land on the moon. There have been some quotes that have been taken out of context. Sure. That I've seen. But outside of the fact that he went to the moon... In 1969 with NASA, he had a quite the quite the little career going on. Now, born in 1930, he would have been too young to serve in World War II, but he did end up seeing a little bit of action in Korea. Mm. Now, he was born in, I think, Jersey, and he ended up going to West Point and graduated in 1951 with a degree in mechanical education wow. or engineering. Third in his class, he pretty much had his choice of... Military commissions at that point. His father was the one that was pushing him to join the Navy. However, he was always seasick. He didn't enjoy boats at all. So he was like, I didn't see a future with that. And back at that time, the Air Force was just branching off of the Army. So he was able to take a commission in the Air Force as a second lieutenant pretty quickly. And he was doing some shenaniganry. They were doing some different things out in Asia where uh, there was some MacArthur thing where there was like a group of West Point cadets that were out there working with, studying like what, what MacArthur was trying to do. Because he was in World War II and then he was the commander in Korea for a while. Mm. And he ended up out there when the Korean War broke out. So he ended up going to flight school and became a jet fighter pilot and he actually shot down two MiGs in the Korean War which is pretty cool <laughs> he flew 66 total combat missions after the war he came back to the states and earned a doctor's of science degree from MIT wow and he was selected at that point into the astronaut group of NASA and he spent five hours on spacewalks on Gemini 12 in 1966 prior to the moon landing so he had wow. a pretty extensive space career yeah. Prior to the Apollo missions. Now everybody knows him as his for his Apollo 11 mission. He was, I think, the lunar module pilot. Armstrong was the commander, and Collins was the, uh, or I think he was a lander pilot. Collins was the other pilot, and Armstrong was in charge of them. Basically, was mm-hmm. kind of how that broke down. But um, he touched down 19 minutes after Neil Armstrong hit the moon, and afterwards, he pretty much had universal acclaim, all sorts of honors, everything. Right. But he was part of NASA at that time, and his his commission is in the Air Force was kind of put on hold. So he ends up going back to the Air Force in 1971 because there really wasn't anything to do. It's like, what are you, you going to do at NASA after you landed on the moon back right. then? So he ends up becoming in charge of the U.S. Test Force, or the U.S. Air Force Test Pilot School. And he did that for a little bit. That didn't last too long. He ended up retiring after 21 years of service. And then after that, he started getting into more, uh, not really civilian engineering, but he was working with different colleges to work on different problems. And he's still doing that type of shit today. No shit. Like, he's still working with the people at Purdue, the engineers at Purdue, to work on the Mars landing mission and all this shit. Mm -hmm. He even created his own... uh, That's uh, awesome. Aldrin cylinder that supposedly would is a different landing vehicle for a potential mission to Mars, a different way to travel quicker and all that shit. That's wild. Intelligent dude. Very smart, very bright. He really took advantage of everything that he had. In uh, 2002, he got in a rumble with this guy that was a moon landing conspiracy theorist named Bart Sibrel. And basically, Buzz Aldrin was 72 at the time. And this guy kind of lured him in to this uh, the situation where Buzz thought he was going on this Japanese children's television show about space. 
he thought he was going in there to talk like to the studio to talk ended up being this guy kind of confronting him about faking the moon landing all this shit and buzz ended up punching the guy in the jaw (laughs) and it got kind of heated but um no charges were filed nice and he did get granted three different patents from the united states patent and trademark office for different um space designs all of them well after his career in nasa one in 1993 another one in 2003 and a third in 2004 damn so i mean he was really working at it into his 60s and 70s yeah he was he's still doing some shit i think the fact that he has been more or less vocal about his career in NASA, considering the fact that Neil Armstrong was more of a recluse in his later years, mm-hmm. the fact that Buzz Aldrin still goes out there and he'll talk about some of the shit is pretty interesting. Yeah. Definitely a character. He had a lot going on. So, I don't know. I think he's an American hero. I agree. That was a really good one. Especially considering he shot down some MiGs. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's crazy. You don't, you don't, see, you don't hear a lot of people... You don't hear a lot of those stories from people. Exactly. What else you got? So... I could probably get through my next couple pretty quick. Okay. Because... We are way over. Yeah, we are <laughs> pretty way over. Um, my next one, I don't have a whole lot on him, but have you ever heard of Philo T. Farnsworth? No. This man is the creator of the first electronic television. Really? Now, he spent a lot of his career with legal ball- battles regarding this invention, but he would eventually get a deal from RCA allowing them to market the televisions for home consumption so we would not enjoy everything we do with these televisions if it was not for this man right here sure mostly football just think of the football the youtube i don't know maybe maybe it actually doomed society Maybe it did. Maybe it know. did, but I don't know. I I, my... I I love watching football. That's all I know. <laughs> all I know is I don't leave my house because of my TV. So. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's not the only thing he did. Uh, he ended up, in addition to creating the television, uh, he worked on other really important technologies like radar, infrared telescopes, and nuclear fusion. This guy was a huge part of nuclear fusion technology. Sure. So definitely a hero in my opinion. And my next one, I got to pull up on my phone. I'll get through her really quick here. I don't have a whole lot on her either. But have you ever heard of Deborah Sampson? Can't say that I have. She became a hero of the American Revolution. Uh, she, What she ended up doing was she disguised herself as a man and joined the Patriot Forces. She was the only woman to earn a full military pension for participation in the Revolutionary Army. In 1782, Samson disguised herself as a man named Robert Shirtleft, <coughs> Shirtleft and joined the 4th Massachusetts Regiment, Regiment. At West Point, New York, she was assigned Captain George Webb's Company of Light Infantry. She was given dangerous tasks of scouting neutral territory to assess British buildup of men and material in Manhattan, which George Washington was contemplating on uh, on attacking. But she kept her gender undetected for two years. And she had a couple close calls. She got she got hit in the head with a sword, had a huge gash across her head, and then she got she got shot in the thigh and she pulled the fucking bullet out by herself so that she wouldn't get caught. Uh, but she would off ultimately be discovered in uh, Philadelphia when she fell ill and she would lose consciousness. But she was honorably discharged in uh, 1783. That's incredible. But that shit is wild, man. And that article, um, Aesthetic Skies uh, 16.medium.com, has that story about her. But that's pretty. That's a pretty crazy. Pretty story. crazy story. That's some dedication to your country right there. And it's pretty funny because that 4th Massachusetts Regiment, in Hero Skate, there's a 4th Massachusetts <laughs> line that's a revolutionary soldiers. No so shit. That, she could have been one of those she guys. She could have been one of them. That's incredible. That's wild. But um, 
That was pretty good. Yeah, the the length she went to to not be detected is wild. Yeah, you have to that, look that's her up. dedication. Yeah, I mean, talk about a hero. Talk about. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, you know, I'm a man. I gotta go fight. That's just what, what men do. Type of a thing. Yeah. Talk about you have no real social obligation whatsoever. You're not supposed to be there. Right. Not only is it there's there no social obligation. There's active rules that say you can't be right. doing this. Exactly. Shit. You've got to put all this extra effort in to go out there and fight. That's an American hero right and there. To survive for two years in the field. In the, for two in the years. Field, for in the battlefield. That's, that, that is that's, incredible. That's more effort than most soldiers ever would have to put yeah. into anything. Just yeah. just to stay on the battlefield. 100%. So that's incredible. I've got another one. This one I hadn't heard of before today. Everybody talks about Rosa Parks. Yep. Did you know she was not the first one to sit down and have the whole thing? Yep. Or here at Claudette Colvin? Yes. I never heard of her before today. Uh, well, uh, two days ago. <laughs> She's still alive today. She was born September thir- or 5th, 1939. On March 2nd, 1955, she was arrested for basically telling them to fuck off when they told her to get off on a segregated bus. She was a black woman. She's only 15 at the time and was pregnant. Damn. Wow. And this happened nine months prior to the Rosa Parks incident. I think they were both in Montgomery, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Claudette Colvin was for sure. I think Rosa Parks was somewhere down there near nearby, basically, in a segregated city. Here, here's something I want to know real quick. Rosa Parks, hers was actually planned. Was hers planned? Didn't sound like it. It sounded like she was a 15-year-old girl trying to go home. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Rosa Parks incident was planned. And what's interesting, too, is this incident happened nine months prior, but they decided to go with the Rosa Parks thing as the hero. Am I am I wrong about that? I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was planned. It wouldn't surprise it me. Because a lot of those things were planned. Yeah. But it's just a shame. It's like, as a 15-year-old. Right. Telling everyone to go fuck off. I mean, it's easier that for... That takes for, courage. I mean, Rosa Parks was, what, in her 30s or 40s? She right. was older at the time. This takes courage. So, I don't know. That was an interesting one. I didn't know about her before today. And I don't know. I can do my last one real quick. Do you have any more? I'm sorry. Yes, it, it was a bus boycott type planning. Type planning. Right. So, I didn't want to mix that up. But it doesn't take away I from her like, bravery well, at all. Well, I mean, this is probably the thing that... It could have inspired it. Inspired it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, Claudette Colvin. She's still alive. And my last one real wow. quick. Do you have any more? Um, I, I, I do, but I that's the one I messed up. It's, it's not a. It's it's fine. You can keep, you can go. All right, I'll try to make this one really quick. This oh, you're is good. Not a quick one, but I, I got him. I'll make it quick. You're good. Ever hear of Eddie Rickenbacker? I probably talked to you about. I think him you have, but enlighten me. Um, 1890, he was born in Columbus, Ohio. He's best known as a World War One fighter pilot for the Americans. He had 26 total kills in World War One. Wow. Um, if you go to the United States Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio, just off the Wright Patterson Air Force Base, they have I think this is the last surviving Spad 13 which was a plane that he was most famous for flying back in the day, although he did also fight the Newport early on in the war. But the Spad 13 was like the one that he kind of was famous for. I think they got the last surviving one, and then they got it painted in the colors that he flew because the five, the pilots kind of had their own their own planes. They kind of painted them their own ways, basically. Sure. I first learned about this guy because I played this nerdy little miniature game called Wings of Glory, <laughs> which used to be called Wings of War, and you get these little model planes, and you fly them around on a table. That's sweet. It's kind of fun because you, it's, you, you, you play it on the table, but it makes it gives you a feel for how the planes fly and whatever. Right. You lay different cards down, and it kind of shows where they move. And right. It's nerdy, but the cool thing about it is it can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. Like, you can, like, get to the point where you're, like, calculating, like, wind draft and Goddamn. all that shit. Or you can just play where you're just throwing cards down and just kind of moving around trying to shoot the other guy down. So it's pretty cool. But nice. anyways, he was best known as a pilot, but he had quite the career prior to being a pilot. I think uh, he was born in 1890. World War One would have been 
1917. So he would have been 27 on, at the start of World War II, basically. As a 19-year-old, he was in charge of all of Firestone Columbus operations in multiple states. He was heavily involved in the auto manufacturing and the automotive supplier Damn. world, basically. Um, his first job he got working for the Oscar Lear Auto Company. And he was a teenager, and they recognized that he had a lot of talents, and then he ends up going to Firestone. And then he ended up racing in what eventually became the Indianapolis 500. Like, yeah. right when it became, like, Dude's they started doing it. Like, they were going to start doing this shit. And by 1915, he was known as Fast Eddie. <laughs> and he was racing for different teams and all this shit. And then he decided to join the World War One and become a badass pilot. One of the greatest. It's Eddie Rickenbacker and it's Frank Luke are the two great American pilots at the time. Um... He ended up being a chauffeur for John Pershing, who I'm assuming was the Pershing rifle guy. I don't know that for sure. <laughs> and this is the last one that I did, so I didn't really read this heavily. But um, he was pretty much in the air by... Most of his fighting was in uh, 1918. Confirmed 26 aircraft and five balloon kills. Officially the deadliest American fighter pilot of World War One, And uh, he came back to the States. He's only 29 by the time the war ended. So he was back in the States. He ended up creating his own car company. And then he was... Pretty pretty heavily instrumental, apparently, in creating the four-brake tire system that all the cars use these days. <laughs> this man is a hero. And then he ended up working for General Motors for quite a while. He purchased the Indianapolis Speedway. Damn. He was working in the comic book industry briefly. Um, Jack of all trades. <laughs> he ended up... I don't think he served in World War II, but he ended up going out there anyways. In 1942, he was on a B-17 bomber, and it crashed into the ocean. God damn. And they survived for 24 days adrift on an ocean raft. Unreal. <laughs> How old was he in World War II? He, 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 was... he would have been 52. God. <laughs> he ended up meeting Winston Churchill later on. <laughs> this dude's done it all. Uh, he ended up living until 1973, and he passed away a living legend. Wow. Um, he does have a plaque, and I know that I mentioned him when we went to the Air Force Museum that one time. I know that I, I probably yeah. pointed out his plaque to you. You did. Ridiculous story. Unbelievable I didn't, life. I did not scratch the surface. <laughs> did not scratch the surface of the shit that he did. An automotive guy, a fucking car racer, a fucking aircraft pilot getting shot down or Can you crashing. even, like, like can, you, like, can someone even have the capacity to do any of that today? No. Because, Absolutely like, for not. all the certification you have to have with, with like, Absolutely. How can anyone do any of that today? Because he was he was professional at like age fifteen. He was running (laughs) fucking Firestone for multiple states at at age nineteen. That is unbelievable. You don't see that these days. You just don't see that. That's not a thing. And then he was already an established automotive guy. Then he goes to war after the fact. <laughs> and then, and then that—that's why he's best known. It's—it's it's not for any of the car shit. It's because he was the best fighter pilot ever in World Un- War One. Unreal. He was the American Red Baron, basically. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah. Yep. That's wild. So I—I I don't know. I don't think there's anything else we could say. Wow. I didn't, we I did we, not... we definitely need to do a part two. Definitely. On American heroes. Definitely. We could have a whole episode on George Washington. Alone. Yes, I was kind of stayed away from the hardcore political yeah. ones, but but he was a soldier, definitely. Well. Uh, Zachary Taylor is another one. Yep, uh, Franklin Pierce. Franklin Pierce. Yeah, you don't hear about him because he was drinking too, by, too <laughs> much during the 
during his presidency. You know, I randomly downloaded a biography on Alexander Hamilton. Yeah, I think you told me about this. Yeah, I never realized he's he's very very. I didn't realize how liberal he was. Yeah, he was how extremely pro- liberal. How progressive he was. He wasn't really. He wasn't much of a federalist. He was a federalist. I mean, he wasn't much of a uh, states rights uh, states rights kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And he was a hardcore elitist too. Yes, hardcore elitist. Yes, he 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 wanted like a central bank, kind of how yeah, uh, freaking they had it over overseas. Yes, he didn't believe he didn't believe in anything existing beyond the establishment, basically. Yes, <laughs> which makes you wonder what Aaron Burr's motivations really were. Was yeah. he really was he really the villain that he's portrayed? We talked That's about Aaron true. Burr. We, we did. We did talk about Aaron Burr. Yeah, he was one of my guys on uh, Greatest War, Warriors. War heroes. Yeah. Warriors. Heroes, yep. <laughs> that was Warriors. I think it was just Warriors. I, I think mean, it was the Warriors yeah, episode. That was a good one. Yeah. No, the only thing I know about Franklin Pierce is his wife ended up doing like like seances in the White House, and I think she summoned. <laughs> there's there's a demon in the Jeez. White House that oh, I think for, I bet I think she summoned. So well, it's it's definitely doing its job on old, old Joe. Joe. <laughs> well, it probably just shows up to his brain and just like yeah, pass. Sorry, not worth possessing. <laughs> Anyways, anyways, on that note, we ran uh, way too long. I think this might be our our longest recording. It's up there. It's pretty bad. Well, we only have six hundred and twenty nine hours and twelve minutes left to do the to do the podcast. At the pace we're going, I feel like we'll last till about the year twenty two hundred. With that, should be good. We'll be good. Um, please x us at thirty in the comment on our Facebook page. Haven't seen any action, although the most recent episode did pretty well. I think we had twenty two listens on the most nice. recent one, which I can't remember what the hell we talked about. That we did, uh, what was that episode? What the fuck was it? Got it, here. it was a good one. I it can't was. remember what the hell it was. Where the hell is episode 118? Oh, Mythical Creatures. Yes, that was a good one. That was a good That's one. That's what it was. Yeah, that was a good one. So, um, if you have any mythical creatures, please send us in. We'll do a part two of that one. We'll do a part two of this one, too. If you know any American heroes, comment on our Facebook page. We want to hear about them. Yes, please comment. Please ask us. Um, follow us on Spotify. I think we did get a bad review on Spotify this week. Are you serious? Oh, God. <laughs> Somebody gave us a one star. I, don't, I didn't read any comments or anything. Damn. But we're still hovering. I think we're at 4.4 out of 5. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll take we're, it. We're getting there. We'll take it. Um, on that note, I think it's probably about time for us to get out of here. So thank you very much, guys, for listening. Peace. For conduct detrimental to the team, General Brian Gutenkunst. Is that really his name? <laughs> I hope not. Guten. Okay. Gutenkunst. Brian Gutenkunst announced Wednesday. It's spelled G U T E N. No. Gutenku. <laughs> it's. It's spelled G U T E. K U N S T. Gutenkust? It's hard. I don't know. Yeah. General Manager Brian Gutenkust announced Wednesday. And obviously, after all that, he was promoted uh, to Major General and he became a farter. Cot! Uh, <laughs> farter! Cot! It's been a long day. There's going to be no shortage of outtakes today. <laughs> it's, been a long, it's been a long day. Um, he became a farmer. And then after that, he was in charge of Fort Ticonderoga. Uh, I might say this wrong. Uh, Ticonderoga. Ticonderoga. T- Ticonderoga. There you go. 
And after that, he was made uh, Brigadier uh, General during that time as well. (laughs) Brigadier General. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) God. So she became a hero of the American Revolution because... God damn, what the hell is this? There we go. Sorry. God. 